Okay. Okay. Does that appear for you? Yeah, very small though. Oh yeah, I have to make it bigger, but okay. I, I'm I, I don't know what's happening. Oh, maybe because I enabled it. Right now it's on a split screen, so the 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 four of you are off to my left on a different screen, and then the computer is uh, is in front of me. Okay. We'll try and uh, see if we can keep track, and hopefully this will uh, this will work. Okay, so uh, what we have over here is a very interesting uh, topic, as far as uh, as far as halacha is concerned, uh, because it has to do. It's, it's obviously a very sensitive uh, topic, uh, and it's one which uh, relates to uh, dealing with people who are uh, who are not well, who are uh, um, ill in some way. And obviously the fear is, is that if one were to inform the person of their exact medical uh, condition, exactly what's going on with them, so that may cause them to become uh, depressed or despondent or despair from, uh, from recovery. And therefore the concern is, is that maybe you should withhold that information from them and just uh, keep telling them that, yeah, the doctors are giving medication and we're trying and Mir Hashem, everything is going, to, uh, is going to work out. So here we're going to explore... Uh, we may have more sources than we'll be able to handle now uh, for this uh, for the year, but uh, we'll uh, we'll get through what uh, what we can. Hopefully, the uh, the main stuff. Okay, so obviously we know that there is a general prohibition to lie. Uh, that is something that uh, that we're familiar with, but um, we're, as we're going to see, there are certainly circumstances when such a thing is going to be acceptable. And now the question is going to be whether or not we're going to be able to uh, uh, identify one of those circumstances in which it's going to be permitted, or are we going to sort of be locked in, assuming that uh, you got to tell the truth, and if you're asked straight out, am I dying, is there any hope, does the doctor say that there's any hope, that you may have to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and be brutally honest. Okay, so the first thing we have over here is the Gemara and Yuvamas. So the Gemara Yuvama says, the very famous Gemara, V'amra bilah mishum rabbi lezer rabbi shimon. So rabbi lah in the neighbor of lezer rabbi shimon says, Mutalol adam l'shanos b'davar shalom. That a person is allowed to go ahead and lie, be less than truthful, in an effort to go ahead and to, uh, to maintain peace. And this is something which is, uh, which is a very important uh, idea. Um, and that is, that, Shenemar, as it says, Avicha Tziva Vegomer, Kosomele Yosef Anasana Vegomer. So what's going on over here is, is Yaakov Avinu just died. The brothers returned from burying him in Canaan. And now the brothers, other than Yosef, get nervous that Yosef may decide that this is high time to go ahead and exact revenge on the brothers for having sold him. It's no longer going to be disturb his father anymore because his father's already passed away. So the brothers approach Yosef and they say, listen, uh, our dear brother Yosef, uh, we have to tell you something that our father told us to instruct you that you should go ahead and you should forgive us. Now, Yaakov Avinu never said anything of the sort. They made this up entirely, but they did so in an effort to maintain shalom bias. They did so in an effort to make sure that when there's a family reunion of sorts, that... Uh, that it is uh, uh, that it is going to uh, that it'll still be a peaceful one and everybody will be able to uh, to get along. So that is uh, so that is point number one. Rabbi Nasser Omar Mitzvah. 
Rabbi Nassim says not only is such a, such a lie allowed, but it's actually a mitzvah. Shinemar, as it says, this is a different context. So what's going on over here is Shmuel Hanavi was instructed by God to go ahead and to anoint David HaMelech as the next king, which normally is a joyous, happy event. But the concern over here was that Shaul was still alive and he was still king. So generally, you could assume that one king is not going to be very happy to hear that another king was anointed while he's still on the throne. So Shmuel uh, expressed to God a genuine fear. Shmuel says, Eich elech, how am I supposed to go and anoint David? Shaul's going to hear about this, and as soon as he hears that I'm on my way to go ahead and anoint David Amelch, Vargeni, he's going to go ahead and kill me. So God said, not a problem at all. You know what you should do? Grab a, I don't remember if it was goat or sheep, but grab a couple of animals, and if anybody asks you where you're going, tell them that you're on your way to go ahead and bring Corbanos, and nobody will, uh, will be suspicious at all. So here God is instructing Shmuel to say something which is less than truthful, also as a way of just trying to avoid conflict. Uh, in some ways, it's really Hatzal uh, Nefashos, he's trying to save his life, but that was what he was, uh, he was told. Okay, so that is, so we already see that there's somewhat of a basis to go ahead and lie, but in both of those instances, there was somewhat of a fear that not only would there be a lack of Shalom bias, but there was actually a fear that maybe the person who is being lied to could actually become violent. So maybe that's going to be the only circumstance in which a lie or, or a white lie of sorts is going to be allowed. But in source number two, we have a very famous uh, conversation uh, exchange between Beisham and Beishilo. Tanarban, the Bryce says, hopefully that's a phrase that you're familiar with. So what exactly are the dance moves that one is going to do before the kala? Now, it doesn't really mean dance moves, as we're going to see, but that's the way the, the question is phrased. So, Beishamai Omrim, Beishamai says, Omrim Kala Kemoshehi. That, if you're going to go ahead and praise the Kala in the presence of the Chassan, so you have to praise her in terms of the qualities which she has. You cannot lie about qualities which she does not have. You have to go ahead and praise the qualities which she has. But, Ubeisilo Omrim, Beisilo comes along and disagrees with Beishamai, and they say, no, kala no v'chasuda, that's the way the song goes. Now we've had the song, Paschal's like Beisilo, and says that it's going to be kala no v'chasuda, we're going to praise the kala as being a beautiful, lovely bride. So Amr Lahem Beishamai the Beisilo. So Beishamai asks Beisilo, wait a minute over here, how could you go ahead and say that, automatically assume that uh, you could say that she's a beautiful, lovely bride, Let's say she was objectively, if there is such a thing, she's objectively not beautiful. Can you actually say she's a beautiful, lovely bride in the event that she is not? How can you go ahead and lie like that? The Torah says, get rid of this, oh, sorry. Torah says, that you have to stay away from a lie. The marvelous Midos machine, Paskin's the same way. You're not allowed to go ahead and tell a lie. So how could you go ahead and say about a bride that she's beautiful and lovely when that, in fact, is not the case? So Beisilo says to Beishamai, it's an amazing response. They come along and they say, say, listen, if we were to go ahead and adopt your perspective, Beishamai, that you have to be brutally honest, even when the honesty is going to be brutal, somebody comes to you, this is every husband's uh, fear. The wife comes home after buying a sweater at the store and she says, what do you think? How do you think my sweater looks? Do you like my sweater? So what are you going to do? 
And now it's, it's the most horrific thing you've ever seen. So it just happens to be one of those things that you can't imagine a possibly uglier sweater. And they say, do you like my sweater? So what are you going to do? Yishab chenu or yiganenu Are you going to tell them that it's beautiful? Or are you going to tell them that it's gross and disgusting? You've never seen anything so horrid in your life. So Haviomer, Basil says, I would maintain Yishab chenu You should go ahead and praise it in the person's eyes because at that point, there's nothing they could do to change it. All they could do is they, they already bought the sweater. If they ask you ahead of time, they send you a link to a website and say, I'm thinking of buying this sweater. Should I buy it or not? Then you should be honest and say, you know what? I don't think that's going to look very good on you. But in the event, in the event that, um, People are trying to log in and they can't get in. Oh, hold on one second. Oop. Show must go on. Okay, so Basil says to uh, to Beishamai, says, listen, uh, if somebody goes ahead and uh, has an issue over here, so, uh, or buy something which is ugly. Are you going to tell them that it's uh, ugly or are you going to tell them it's beautiful? Obviously, you should go ahead and you should tell them that it's lovely because otherwise it's too late. There's nothing they could change at that point. And why go ahead and be brutally honest if that's going to be hurtful? And we can amru Based on this, chachamim say, that a person should always make an effort to be able to get along with others. And the getting along with others means that um, that and that means that saying something which is less than uh, than honest in order to go ahead and to be able to get along with others, and we know that such a thing is actually going to work. Such a thing is actually is actually the way we paskin. They ought to, because we, we sing the song, and regardless of what sort of, if there was such a thing, objective standard by which we could go ahead and we could measure whether somebody, whether a bride is beautiful or lovely, either way, we're always going to say beautiful or lovely. Basically, what Bass Hill is advocating over here is that there is a, um, a, uh, um, a, a social expert, a social construct of white lies. And that's the way we all get along in society is we tell each other white lies. We want to be told those, uh, th- those, uh, those white lies. And, it's, uh, and that's, what we, uh, that's what we expect. When you say to somebody, how does this look on me? So we're hoping that the person's going to be honest and tell, uh, if not, sorry, the person's going to be less than honest. They're going to tell you it was absolutely beautiful. And that's the way Basilo goes ahead and poskins this, uh, this, this matter. Now, so over here, what we're trying to say is, what we're trying to say is that maybe there should be an allowance to go ahead and tell a white lie to the patient who is dying so that they should not become depressed. They shouldn't become um, uh, upset by their medical condition and perhaps give up, and, uh, and that would be bad for their condition. So then the question is, uh, under what conditions could I go ahead and do something on your behalf which, uh, which without consulting with you ahead of time? Is there such a mechanism for me to go ahead and do so? So here we say, uh, in, in source number three, I won't read it inside, but the main principle that we have over here is this principle of 
that I'm allowed to go ahead and act on your behalf, even as far as conveying ownership to you of certain things, of, of items. Shalobafanov literally means not in your face. What it means is without your consent, but I'm not allowed to go ahead and do something which is going to be harmful, Shalobafanov, without, uh, without your consent. So there is a certain mechanism which will allow me for, to go ahead and uh, do something on your behalf without consulting with you ahead of time, only in the event that it is good for you, that it's something which is going to be a schuh, something which is going to be a, a, a benefit, not in the event it's going to be something which is going to be, uh, going to be harmful. So the question is, in this case, um, uh, how, how exactly are we going to determine whether or not something is to a person's benefit or to a person's detriment? And uh, do we, uh, is this an assumption that we're going to make on behalf of the other party? Or do we have to ultimately get confirmation from the recipient as far as what we did on their behalf? So here you have, and again, we're not going to read it inside just because of time, but there's a fascinating disagreement in sources four and five between the Ramban and the Rashba. The Ramban and the Rashba over there in Kedusha, Davchav Gimel, so they are arguing the following case. The Gemara, said, the Gemara talks about how if you have an Evid Knani, one of the ways that an Evid Knani is able to uh, become free is through money. If you pay his owner for his freedom, that allows the slave to go ahead and become free. But the problem is that the Evid uh, Knani uh, isn't able to acquire possessions. Masha Kana Evid Kanaraba, whatever he acquires automatically belongs to his. Uh, to his owner, and therefore the, the uh, Eved, the slave, is never going to be able to have the money to be able to buy out his freedom. So how exactly is it going to be accomplished? So comes along Mel, and Mel goes to the slave owner and says, listen, I would like to go ahead and buy that slave's freedom. I'm going to spend the money on his behalf. I will give it to you on his behalf so that he should be able to go free. And here's a transaction. Here's the money. Set him free. Give him his get shikhar. Uh, uh, give him his emancipation document and send him on, on his way. So there's a machlokas between uh, the Ramban and the Rashba as to whether or not we ultimately have to have the agreement of the slave that he is set free. So the Ramban actually says that you're able to go ahead, this rule, this principle of zachin badim shobafanim, that you can act on somebody else's behalf without their prior consent, that's only going to be true in the event that ultimately the person agrees to what you did on their behalf. The final words he says here is, but in the event that Mel tells the slave, listen, I just did you this, the greatest favor. I went ahead and I paid money on your behalf to set you free. And the slave says, set me free. I was perfectly content being a slave. I have room and shelter and board and I was taken care of. And life was pretty good for me over here. I, had, I didn't have to worry about clogged pipes or leaky ceilings or anything like that. And everything else was taken care of for me. And I, I don't do many favors to so go ahead and set me free. So the Ramban says, in such a case where the slave comes along and says, I didn't want you to do me that favor. He actually does not go free. If he says, ultimately, it's not a schus for me, it's not a better for, for me, it's something which is, uh, uh, is uh, harmful to me, so then he can reject what Mel did on his behalf, and he remains a slave. The Rashba disagrees. The Rashba says that if Mel went ahead and gave somebody a gift, 
he went ahead and gave Art a gift of $50,000, thinking that who doesn't appreciate $50,000? And then when Art gets the check in the mail or finds out that uh, in his, uh, his Venmo account that $50,000 was deposited, Art calls up Mel and says, what did you do? By giving you these $50,000, you moved over my tax bracket. I no longer qualify for WIC and rent supplement and all sorts of government programs. And now you've ruined everything for me by giving me these $50,000. I don't want it at all. So uh, in such a case, we're going to say that there, the Rashma says, yes, if Art ultimately comes along and says that this money is not a benefit to me, so then he could reject it and the, the, uh, the, the gift returns. But he says, when it comes to a get shikhr, that's what you have at the end over here. He says, when it comes to the emancipation document, when, Re- when Mel goes ahead and frees um, uh, uh, the slave from his slave condition, so the, the Rashma says, such a thing as that is chus gamerhu. So this is something which in absolute objective terms is considered to be a benefit for the slave. Let's just say for the simple reason that umachniso lechalau mitzvah ki Yisrael. Because it generates, once a slave is free, he's not obligated in all mitzvahs like any other Jew. And that certainly is a benefit to be able to have access to all of those mitzvahs and all of the reward related to those mitzvahs. So therefore, even if he goes ahead, the, the final words of the Rashba are, even if the slave says, no, 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 I don't want to go free. I want to remain a slave for the duration of my lifetime. So uh, the Rashba says, it's too bad. We assume that it's just a Mishagas he has why he wants to remain a slave, but really he's going to remain a, a, a slave. Uh, for uh, He's going to be set free once uh, Mel went ahead and paid for him to go free. And therefore, we don't need his ultimate agreement. We could go ahead and decide there is such a mechanism by which we are going to decide on his behalf that it's in his best interest to be, to be free rather than to be a slave. And therefore, too bad that he's telling us that that's not what he wants. Now, obviously, the relevance is going to be that if we decide that we're going to withhold this information, the medical information from the patient, and the patient comes along and says that, do we have to be concerned that if the patient were to find out that we're withholding that information, that he would go ahead and he would somehow protest and not want it to do so, and therefore we don't have the right to act on his behalf? Or can we say that, listen, this is absolutely in his best interest, even if he's complaining about it, it's just a mishagas which he has and it could be ignored because ultimately everybody actually wants to, uh, w- wants to be free. So that is going to be the, uh, the next question. So here we have, interesting, we have actually a precedent for this idea in Tanakh di- directly. We're actually going to have two of them. We'll see maybe one of them. So here in Malachim base Parat Ches, it says, Vayavo Elisha Damesek, so Elisha the Navi comes to Damascus, comes to Damascus, who Ben Hadad Melch Aram Chola, and Ben Hadad, that was his name, he was the king of Aram, he got sick, and he was told, a man of God has arrived. Okay, Gavaldik, he says, so the king says to Chazael, I think that's his son, or the person who could potentially take over the, the throne, go ahead and grab some gifts, some uh, some turtle wax, and go ahead and greet the uh, the uh, the man of God, and have him inquire of God, saying, "Will I survive this illness or not?" So he wants to know this exact question. I'm sick. Am I going to live or am I going to die? Rather than asking the doctor, he's asking the navi, "What's what's going to be my condition?" 
and Chazal goes to Elisha, with gifts in hand, and he shows up with a whole caravan, 40 camels worth of stuff to go ahead and drop off by, uh, by Elisha. And he comes, and he stands before him, he says, he says, he says, your, your son, Ben Hadad, Melch Aram, Shalachani Lecha, Ben Hadad, the king of Aram sent me to you, Lamor, to ask, will I survive this illness or not? Vayomer, I love Elisha, and Elisha says to the messenger, Lech Emorlo, Lech Emor. Now there's a Cree and a Ksiv over here, but it says it's written Lamet Aleph, but it's read Lamet Vav. So it says, Lech Emorlo, go tell him, Chayosichia. Yeah, he's going to live. He's going to survive this, uh, this medical thing. And that's what you should tell him. But now the, the Pasuk sort of tells us parenthetically, but the truth is, is Hashem already told Elisha that Ben-Hadad is going to die. So here, Elisha the Navi knows that Ben-Hadad is going to die from this illness. And yet he went ahead and told a bold-faced lie. He went ahead and told the messenger, yes, go ahead and tell the king, that you are going to go ahead and live. So that's here, not what it's not what it looks like at all. When, when we look at the copy here, it looks like Amarlo say to him, Lo you will not survive. That's what it looks like. Yeah, the low it's should a be a pre-indicative. The first low should be in parentheses. Uh-huh. I'll go ahead and I'll fix that now. Yeah, if you didn't know it was a creative, you would completely read it. Opposite. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I, the place where I copy and paste it from, so it doesn't copy and paste very well to convey okay. that. Okay, all right. Okay, I also added in this comma to make sure that we don't read it. To make sure uh-huh. that that's what, those two phrases are also not going to be read together. All right. Okay, so that is one. So here we have Alicia actually telling this lie, saying that he's uh, he's he's going to uh, he's going to die. So uh, that he's going to live, even though Elisha knew perfectly well that Ben-Hadad was going to die. Now, in the second case, you have, and we're only going to read part of this, he said this is a conversation between Chizkiyahu and uh, Yoshiyahu. So Chizkiyahu is the king, he's the one who's ill, Yoshiyahu is the Navi, and Yoshiyahu, HaKadosh Baruch arranges that, uh, that uh, Yoshiyahu is going to go ahead and visit Chizkiyahu, and he says to him, that, um, uh, that he says, listen, God sent me here to tell you, go ahead and make arrangements to divide up your assets. You're going to die and you better take care of things uh, before, before it's too late. So what does, uh, what does Chizkiyo say to him? We'll jump in the second line over here. So Chizkiyo, the king, says to Yishayo, the Nav. Again, Yishayo just had a prophecy that Chizkiyo is going to die. He says, Yishayo, he says, listen, Yishayo, Benoeg Shabolam. The way things normally work in the world is, when you go visit somebody who is ill, uh, so proper etiquette is, the person visiting says, God should be merciful toward you. So meaning that you should wish the person well, rather than telling him, yeah, you're going to die. And when the doctor goes out and visits a patient, what does he tell the patient? The doctor will say, you need to eat these foods and stay away from those foods. Drink these beverages and not other beverages. And even, 
And even if the doctor sees that the patient is about to die, so uh, you don't say to the person, listen, put your affairs in order because you're about to die. The reason why you don't say that to a person is it's going to depress the person and that'll just make the medical condition worse and it can ultimately hasten their death. And you're coming along and you're telling me, put your affairs in order because you're going to die and you're not going to live. You know what? This amazing thing that Chizkiyo said. Remember, he's talking to Shayao Anavi. This is not, uh, you know, a, a guy who's got a, a storefront somewhere that says he reads the stars or tarot cards. This is the real uh, McCoy Navi over here. And he says, you know what, Yeshayo? He says, listen, I'm not giving you any chashivas and I'm not paying attention to any of your words whatsoever. La, 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 I am not listening to what you said. La, la, la. And he's just saying, I'm not, I'm not paying attention. And what I'm going to grab hold of is what my elders taught me. Because all of these dreams and visions, it contains a whole bunch of nonsense and nothingness, and you're just way off base. And forget about it. And then it goes on to say that Chizkiyahu Davin, a very sincerely Tashem, a whole long discussion about what exactly it meant, how, how his prayer was so effective. But ultimately, God agreed with him. And God granted Chizkiyahu another 15 years. And then Yeshayahu was then sent by God to tell Chizkiyahu he's going to live for another 15 years. And Yeshayahu was like embarrassed by that. How can I go? I just told him he's going to die. He reamed me out because I told him he's going to die. Now I'm going to be the one who's going to go back and tell him he's got another 15 years of life. He's certainly not going to be receptive to what it is. And I'm going to look like a fool. And God said, yeah, too bad. You got to do it anyways. But there was another conversation. So we see clearly Chizkiyahu is telling Yeshayahu that I'm not giving up. There's no reason that a person should give up, even when a Navi comes and tells you, you have a medical condition, which is going to be your demise, it's a terminal condition, and you're going to die, put your affairs in order, because it's coming soon, it still doesn't mean it's the end. Prayer is still going, is potentially effective, and therefore, and we see, at least anecdotally, that it worked for Chizkiyo. Chizkiyo gave a, a sincere prayer, which granted him another 15 years of life. Okay, so this may be, now here, that's not an example of lying, but this is the reason why we could go ahead and we could justify such a lie, because uh, that uh, who says that just because the doctors don't know how to cure doesn't mean that God doesn't know how to cure, and therefore maybe things will, uh, maybe things could, uh, could tr- turn over. And we see further precedent for this, source eight over here, says, Tanarabon, and the Brisa teaches in Moed Katan, Chola Shemes Lomes, if you have a person who becomes ill, so you have somebody who's ill, whose relative dies. So we don't say to the ill person, I'm so sorry about the death of your, whatever relative it is. Why don't you inform the ill person of the death of a relative? Because finding out that somebody, when one is already uh, very ill, to find out that somebody else died, number one is you may miss that person a lot. It's depressing to hear that a relative died. And number two, it may become depressed because, listen, nobody's surviving these things. And if this person already died, maybe I'm going to be the one who's going to be, uh, who's going to be next. And therefore, you don't want to share bad news, that type of bad news, because Shema Tichov died to love. You never want to tell somebody who's ill something which can cause them to become depressed and despair and give up, give up on life. So this is something which is a very, it's a very serious and recognized halachic issue. And over here, um, 
Okay, in source nine, we won't read it inside. Source can nine. I interject this, can I interject a story, a true yes, story? Uh, my grandfather's grandson died, and the question in the family was, do we tell the grandfather, who is close to 80 years old, that his grandson died? And we were told, no, you don't tell him. Uh -huh. uh, somebody else said, let's check with the rabbi. So they called up the rabbi, and somebody overheard the conversation and called up my grandfather and said, I'm so sorry to hear that your son died, <gasps> my father. So he thought my father died. So he called up my uncle and said, what is this about Joe dying? They said, no, no, it wasn't Joe that died. It was your grandson. So these things can get out of hand if you try to lie to somebody. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that, 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 yes, yes, that, 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 that's true. Um, you know, a, a little seichel goes a long way. <laughs> um, you know, as they say, common sense is very uncommon at the at, yes. at, at times. But yes, uh, in, in the event that you're not going to get away with the lie, I, I you know, uh, I don't want to say that I tell people to lie, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but in circumstances where there's an allowance to lie, one of the preconditions, generally, one of the preconditions to that is the fact that you have to be able to get away with the lie. If you're going to get caught in the lie, then generally it's not a good idea to uh, to, to try and pull off that lie. So uh, in the event, so all of these cases are that we're discussing are where you may actually be able to uh, to get away with withholding the information from the patient, and they'll never find out. If they do find out, and then they find out that you lied to them, uh, that would be very bad. So yes, I, I don't know. Well, all of this presupposes that that telling somebody they're going to die is to their detriment. I, I, I mean, if 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 I were sick and I was going to die, I would want to know that I'm going to die. Right. So so. Two things. So number one is, so we just read Shema Chicho of Daito Love. It's a concern. Some people maybe not, but it is a concern that for some people would have that impact on them. It would have that effect on them. And maybe we would say, Safik Nefashos Lahakel. We would go ahead and adopt the view that if it's possible, that it will be something which would be detrimental to them. So we shouldn't go ahead and do so. Um, and then number two goes back to that issue, which I mentioned before about the Zachin Adam Shobafanov. Is there going to be some sort of objective or subjective way by which we're going to be able to make that decision, whether you can act on somebody else's behalf and assume uh, without consulting them that this is in their best interest, or uh, do ultimately they have to agree that this is something which is in their best interest? That's why I brought those, uh, the, those, uh, the, those Makaros. Now, over here in source nine, so here source nine says that when a person's about to die, just grab this Omrimlo, uh, uh, we say to the person, he's vada. We tell the person, you know what? You might want to say vidui. Now, if anybody ever tells you, other than Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur time, you might want to go ahead and say vidui, so that's bad news. You don't want to hear that news because generally you're only going to go ahead and say vidui if you're about to die. So therefore, we know right away, Shulchanach recognizes right away that people are going to get nervous about that and say, what do you mean you're telling me I should say vidui? Am I about to die? So you don't want to have to answer yes to that. So immediately you say, you say, you know what? Just go ahead and say the vidui to be cautious. There are so many people who said vidui and they didn't end up dying at, at that time. And therefore it's something which is really a schus for you. It's a segula. Maybe if you go ahead and you say a vidui, that will actually extend your life and just go ahead and say it to be Yodzezayim, but don't interpret it to mean that you're automatically going to die. 
in source 10, you have the, uh, the Chachmas Adam as a way of addressing this very delicate balance that you want the person who's dying to say video before they die. But on the other hand, you don't want to go ahead and depress them. So they adopted a wonderful uh, uh, practice. Says, Berlin. I thought it was Vilna, but he says in Berlin. What's the practice which they adopted there? When a person is ill, they're, they're in bed ill. If they're now the third day in bed, skipping the parentheses, so the, the head of the Bikercholim goes to the person, or somebody else. You should be aware, what we're about to do is stand a procedure for everybody who's been in bed for three days. And therefore, say vidui. We come in, anytime somebody's in bed for three days, we come in on the third day, we tell them to say vidui, stand a procedure, nothing to be concerned about at all. This is just an ancient minog which we have in this town. And therefore, since this is standard procedure, even if the guy has a toothache or something like that, and he's been in bed for three days, they come in and they say, listen, it's time to say vidui. And therefore, and therefore, you have nothing to worry about at all. Just go ahead and just to uh, amuse us, just go ahead and give your last will in the, in the in request or whatever. And take care of all of your financials. And they say, go ahead and do vidui and all that stuff. So they tell them that this is just standard procedure and it's not an indication at all of your current medical condition. This is just what we do. And it was done in order to make sure that nobody would get depressed when you see the Hever Kedisha people coming in or the Baker Cholin people coming in. So this is nothing to, uh, nothing to be alarmed about. But the bottom line still is, is if a situation like this were to arise, so what's going to be the proper procedure or not? And here you have, in uh, source 11, there's a final source, we're not going to be able to see much of it inside, but he says, person who's suffering, he's terminally ill and he's suffering already. The person has terminal cancer. Baron Kamuvan, hey Limo Dasarofmi Diasakola. I don't know if you could do this uh, nowadays anymore, that the doctor could withhold that information, but back then the doctor wouldn't go ahead and tell the patient necessarily how bad it is. Aval Kaes, and the patient just didn't say anything. He was just sort of rolling with it. And the doctors would come in, they would do their procedures, they would give medicine, and they would just uh, do whatever they would do. And nobody talked about what his prognosis was. Aval Kaes Kinira Paka Sivlanuso, but now the patient has run out of patience. Okay, maybe he's, dead. he's no longer a patient, but he's run out of his patience. And he's asking others, and he's commanding his son, I, I instruct you, you have to tell me the truth. What's my medical condition? Other people go ahead and divulge the information. And now we go ahead and we take it up a notch. Maybe the son is going to be obligated on top of everything else Maybe Kibbutz aim is something which the father is going to be able to pull out that trump card and say, I'm pulling out my Kibbutz aim card, and I demand that you tell me what my medical condition is. So is the son going to be forced to go ahead and divulge this information or not? So uh, in the course of the discussion, we'll just read uh, quickly this one proof he has. He says, Ayin Nidarim. So the Bitzel Chachma, or Bitzel Stern, he says, look in Nidarim, that when talk about the mitzvah Bikr Cholun. So it says, You shouldn't visit a person who is ill 
the last three hours of the day, the last three hours until Shkia. Why should you not visit a, somebody who's ill the last three hours of the day? Because it's at that time that they're going to be their weakest. That's when they're going to be the most delicate. And the Ram there explains, At that time, if you see the person when they're suffering the most from their illness at the end of the day, so then you'll say, the, the visitor will say, that there's no hope, and they'll give up for seeking any mercy for their person. So you know what? This person, they just don't have it in them anymore. It's too late in their condition. They're terminal. They're not going to respond. They're not going to uh, survive. And the person won't be interested in davening. And he quotes other Rishonim who say the same thing. And he says uh, that, uh, so certainly, so that's, it's going to be bad if the visitor gives up for da- to daven for the, uh, for the patient. And then he says, Vihine. If you look in the Medrash, quoted by Rashi, that the patient's own prayer for himself is more valuable than the tefillah which other people will say for them. So if, you, if, we want go, if we don't want to go ahead and create a circumstance whereby the visitor will give up and no longer be interested in davening, certainly we don't want to go ahead and create the circumstance where the patient himself gives up and thinks that davening is no longer going to be effective. That's why he says the next line. He says, The patient himself also cannot despair from Hashem's mercy. And God forbid the patient should think that my tefillahs are no longer going to be effective and it's a waste of my breath. To go ahead and try and daven uh, to uh, to be better. Yes, Alan. So, how does that fit in with our with the kolim and cholos and the rufua and uh, amida? Uh, if if we're second stringers in terms of uh, praying for someone, is it worth doing? Uh, it's certainly worth doing. It's certainly better than, uh, than than nothing. It's not as effective as the patient, but it's effective. So that's what we're, that's what the uh, the emphasis was was on. And therefore, he says, um, okay, let's just read very quickly over here. He says, this is what we'll read and then we'll hold it. He says, move on, that's clear from all the sources which he quoted until now. Like in a case such as this of a, a parent who's terminally ill, he doesn't think it's a good idea to go ahead and inform the other uh, patient. Uh, sorry, he says you shouldn't go ahead and to mislead the patient regarding their condition. Sorry, that's the first part. You shouldn't tell them that they're going to get better. To tell them that the, the illness is not so bad. And in a little bit, they'll have a refu shlema and they'll be home you know, next week. You don't tell somebody who's terminally ill that, yeah, yeah, you're going to get better and you're going to be home next week. In other similar type things which people say to those who are ill, thinking that you're going to put their mind at ease and you're going to settle them in and that they'll feel better, thinking that they're actually going to get better, that there's going to be recovery. So that the B'Tzal Chachma says you can't go ahead and say that to the patient. 
Because if the medical condition which they have does not have a cure, according to current medical knowledge and technology, so So how do you know that the person will necessarily have this miraculous cure? So even though it may be appropriate to try and withhold how quickly the person may die or the fact that their condition actually is terminal, but but you should never lie to the patient and tell them that they're actually going to get better. The doctors are working on a cure and they should have you out of here in a week or so. That you should, certainly shouldn't do. Why? Because if you tell them they're going to get better, so doctors got, the doctors got this, I don't need to daven so bad. If they tell the person he's certainly going to die, he's going to give up and say there's no point to davening. So you want the, the patient to be in the mindset that the way I'm going to get out of this is I need to daven sincerely to Hashem came by adopting this sort of middle of the ground, middle of the road approach, the person will try harder in his davening, and his prayer will be much more sincere and heartfelt than if you take either one of those other two extremes, telling him that the doctor is already on a cure and the person is almost out of the hospital, or in the other direction, telling him that, uh, that uh, there's no hope and he's going to, uh, to die. And therefore, he says, in Gimel over here, he says that being that, doing something to inform, in his opinion, since informing the patient of his uh, imminent demise is something which is not in the best interest of the patient. So therefore, even Kibbut Ava'im is not going to override that. Kibbut Ava'im is not enough to override uh, doing something which is going to be in the best interest of the, uh, of the patient. And therefore, he says that, again, how exactly you're going to say it, you have to be very delicate. And as Mel said, that you can't go ahead and say something which is a bold-faced lie, which you're going to get caught lying about. But if you could go ahead and you could dodge and redirect and you could avoid the topic and say, Mir's Hashem, everything is going to, is going to be good. Uh, you know, Hashem should, uh, should help in all of those things without having to say it. So that uh, he, he is of the opinion that that is something which, uh, which should be done. As I said, I'm not sure how much of this is relevant nowadays anyways, because for the most part, I think doctors are uh, divulge way too much as far as what, uh, what, uh, what is allowed or is not allowed to be said to, to the patient. But, uh, but that would be the, a purely halachic perspective as far as how to handle this, uh, this situation. Okay? I apologize again for the uh, difficult uh, techno- technology stuff. Hopefully by next week, I'll speak to the technology guy and hopefully we'll have this, uh, this ironed out and then uh, everybody will be able to log in without the difficulty uh, next week. Thank you, Rabbi. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good Shabbos. Bye-bye.